if you have a tour that just generated a report, you cannot assume that a developer will come in the morning and say, hey, I have a report here, it might be interesting to open it and see it. And I think this is something that like, you should try to think about it all the time on how to make security usability and not just security for security. It's hard, it's not simple, but this is where we should go. Everyone likes to use packages and packages is great, but also can come with known security vulnerabilities. And you want to make sure you scan your packages to make sure it doesn't contain vulnerabilities that everyone knows about, for example, Equifax. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Glad to have you back. Today we have with us uh, Omer Levi-Hevroni, who is a DevSecOps engineer at Soluto. Welcome to the show, Omer. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. So there's a lot of interesting topics for us to talk about, Omer, but before I, I dive in, you know, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about, you know, about yourself, what you do, and, and maybe a little bit of how you got here, how you got into security, into this specific role. So, hi. As a guy said, my name is Omer. Uh, for the past three and a half years, I'm working at Seroto. Uh, and uh, for the past two years, I'm doing mainly AppSec, DevSecOps at Seroto. Uh, I started as a developer and uh, did the shift into AppSec. Um, something that happened inside Soloto, and I think we will talk about it a bit later. Uh, so this is a bit about Soloto, just in case you didn't hear about Soloto. Uh, Soloto is an Israeli-based company, uh, four years ago purchased by Assurant, a U.S. company. And our mission is to help people with uh, the technology devices they own, or the devices they have at home, and how to get the most out of them. Uh, so this is Soloto, this is me. I like to think about my job as helping the developers to ship more quality product, which is main security, but not only, mm -hmm. because I'm part of the DevOps team and this is what we are trying to do. So security, but also other things. And finally, but also very important is OWASP. Uh, I'm in love with OWASP, <laughs> involved in many projects and leading one of the OWASP projects which called OWASP Glue. Uh, Glue is a tool that uh, is the integration of CI/CD tools into the CI/CD pipelines, security tools into the CI/CD pipelines. So this is me, this is OWASP. Yeah, and I think OWASP, for, if you're not familiar with it, is the uh, Open Web Application Security Project, which you know, probably most of our listeners know what it is, but it's sort of, I guess, a, a community and a gathering of all sorts of projects and initiatives that relate to security tooling, security knowledge, uh, application security, you know, more specifically. Yeah, if you're not familiar with OWASP, check out the website. It's a really good source to getting started with security and find resources and all that. How is it structured indeed inside Soluto? So we're going to dig in a little bit into Soluto and uh, and security, but uh, you mentioned you're a part of the DevOps teams and you also mentioned you're DevSecOps. How does it work? Like, how What, what does the team look like? So Soluto uh, worked with journey teams, which means that uh, teams are built according to business value. So for example, we have a team that is responsible for all the first few days of the user within the applications, it's called first experience. And the team can contain uh, developers, product UX, content writers, whatever the team needs to be uh, full operative. And teams are very independent 
and they can decide whatever technologies they need. And mm-hmm. we work a lot with microservices. So each team develops its own microservices. And if they need something from other teams, they just add code. Uh, so this is all the journey teams. I'm part of a, a bit different team, which is called the DevOps team. The DevOps team is it's a bit non-traditional to have DevOps team. And we know it. So we try to, to find the right spot to have a DevOps team, which will do things like operating Kubernetes cluster, so the rest of the teams can use it. And on the other hand, we'll not be the ops team, but inspire the entire company to build more mm-hmm. uh, quality product. And I think AppSec is a really good fit into this team because it's another part of building more quality product. So this is about how Siloto operate. And it's mean that uh, the developers and actually everyone at Siloto has a lot of uh, freedom and a lot of responsibility and a lot of power to do whatever they want and to get us to a better place. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of logic to it. I think there's a difference between you know perceiving or creating a DevOps teams in the notion that you're still not sharing ops responsibility with the team, uh, but rather like suddenly this team is the one that needs to be DevOps. You know, sometimes like goes against the very premise of what DevOps is about. Yeah. But I, I think title aside, you know, there's a lot of sense in saying that there's a team inside the company, and we see this a lot. Uh, and we do this in a little bit at Sneak, whose customer is the internal developer, you know, kind of the prospect is there and kind of the, the team's goal is to indeed make that. And to an extent, SRE is also like the service, the reliability engineer, kind of that concept. Like, again, a lot of different tweaks and different elements to it. Yeah. Uh, but what I really like is that security is part of that. Like, you know, you deal with security, you focus on security, you work on security, but you're not like some, you know, disparate independent security team you work as you know the same part that empowers the developers to get the you know as you said it right better quality yeah. and security be an aspect of that uh, done uh, and and how uh, just i guess like one more bit of context on it so saluto is a specific company that is a part of Ashurian. yeah Ashurian is a very big insurance company located in the united states Ashurian focused a lot on insurance that's what they did in the past and they are still doing and we are part of Ashurian r&d so uh, Shuren have a lot of other uh, R&Ds all around the globe. So we are part of them. Got it. And how does the, um, and we talked about this a little bit before, how do you work from a security perspective? You, know, you gave us the context of Soluto. How do you work like your, your sort of DevOps security practices that you do? How does that interact with sort of the broader security perspective from, from Asurian? So this is what I started with. Uh, I started at Soluto as a developer. And I think it was two years ago. Yeah, it was more than two years ago. Assurance started an initiative called, uh, it comes from Assurance Security. They were, they understood that they have more and more developers all around the world and they can no longer maintain uh, security from uh, sitting in Nashville or in San Mateo or wherever they're sitting, mm-hmm. influencing the entire R&D all over the globe. So they started a, a program called the Security Maintenance, which is basically like, uh, other companies called the uh, security champions. It's basically the same thing, which is instead of going and hire external security expert uh, in each R&D and started to embed them into the R&D, they choose uh, developers from all around the globe, give them security education. Uh, for example, I did a SANS course, a SANS pen testing course. It was one week mm. of a, a course and then a test. So we did this course and we started to work together as a Mavens, uh, we are now a group. We have a Slack channel. We're talking a lot. And this is how I get into all this uh, security AFSEC world. Currently, here at Tel Aviv, we have two Mavens, and we started to add more because we understand we need more. 
So this is how it all started. We are now interacting with, there is someone in Assurance Security team that is responsible on the Maven. So we are communicating a lot with him for guidance and help and to learn more of what we want. And here in Tel Aviv, like all other people here, have a lot of freedom to add things and try to think about new things that can improve the security here. Yeah. Do the Mavens typically, like, you know, yourself and, and the other Maven in the... Uh... The name's catchy, you know, <laughs> just roll with it. Uh, you know, you they... know that the source of the word Maven is Yiddish, actually. Oh, I did not, no. <laughs> yeah, it's come from the word Maven, which is in Hebrew, no. It's really funny. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know that. You know, that, you know, I guess it gives you the history. Yet another reason to have two Mavens in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the Tel Aviv team. Yeah. So, with the, like, do the Mavens typically have, as a part of their day job, like, is your day job security or is your day job you know, like a bunch of other things and security and you're just sort of passionate and therefore find yourself doing security. Uh, and I guess, how does that, how is that similar or different to, to other mavens across the Surian? That's a good question. Uh, one of the main challenges of being a maven, and I've seen that with the entire mavens, is that you need to be a mavens uh, beside of your uh, regular day job. I very fast understood that this is what I do, want to do full time. And I think there are not a lot of events who are doing it full time. Mm-hmm. And I did it full time for the one and a half year, and then I joined the DevOps team. So now I do a part of a regular DevOps task, like building Kubernetes cluster or stuff like that, and mm-hmm. a security task and start try to combine them. But it's definitely very, very hard to find the right spot between doing your regular job and doing the Maven stuff because it's not easy. You have tasks that you need to complete and you need to somehow think about security things. So this is a challenge of being a maven. A maven. Yeah. And I had lucky to not have it. Yeah. And I guess, you know, but it's the versatility also of the program where, you know, where is relevant, then, you know, people would have that as a, as a full-time job versus not. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so I think like the Maven program, I, I want to spend a couple more minutes on that one still, just because it sounds like it's working well. And I think it's a program that many people try to do. Uh, can you tell a little bit about like how is knowledge shared within the Maven? Like you mentioned the Slack channel uh, internally, what other good tooling or, or methodologies work to sort of share information between Mavens? So we have a few virtual meetings, uh, one or two in a year. Uh, we also try to meet like in big conference, for example, uh, in two months, some of us are going to be at uh, AFSA California and going to give a talk there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will be there, we will talk together, uh, hang out. Last year, we did an internal con for all the Mavens right after AFSA California, and we might do it again this year. Or, for example, do it at uh, DEF CON Black Hat uh, USA. So this is an example to where we can meet, share ideas, and learn from what others are doing. Mm-hmm. So sharing is hard, but we try to do it as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And different events have different challenges. So this is also uh, interesting to see what they face, what we are facing. And for example, there is uh, someone from Assurance Security team who is responsible for all the events. So he also helps us, like to say, okay, they face the issue you are facing. Maybe you should talk with them. Right. So we do the coordination. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So basically, like a component of it is just natural social interactions. You're on the Slack meeting. Yeah. You meet up. You naturally go to some of the same events. And then you meet up and share knowledge there. And some of it is a little bit more coordinated by the person in the in the central security team who's, whose job it is to make this program successful. Part of his job, yeah. Or part of his job. Yeah, his main job is uh, he's responsible for application security. So it makes sense that Mavens is part of his job. It's one of his primary tools, I guess, or sort of pri- yeah. primary means of succeeding that. Yeah. Cool. 
So thanks for for sharing that. And indeed, let's let's maybe veer off, you know, from the broader program into like practically speaking. So can I can I ask you like to describe a little bit how is security embedded today? You know, from a you work in this very modern, you know, it sounds like a very modern uh, surrounding. You know, Empower teams they run it. You know, you have your sort of continuous deployment pipelines use Kubernetes. You know, quite clearly, how is security embedded into it in the sort of the practical day to day? So I already mentioned that uh, we have very independent teams and we don't have one central mechanism that control what teams are doing and like say to teams, okay, you can't do that or you need to do it that way. And this is something that is very challenging as a Maven to come and engage the developers, help them understand why they need uh, security, not only developers, but also product managers and everyone else. This is the main challenge I'm facing for the last two years. And we are trying to do a few things to uh, handle it. It's still a challenge we want to succeed solving it, but we try different things. For example, uh, I'm doing a monthly security awareness session each time on a different topic, trying to encourage developers Mm -hmm. doing the session themselves so they can learn about something. We also try to do threat modeling workshop when we do like a quick overview of what is threat modeling and give them a hands-on experience. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, CI/CD, where we try to integrate uh, static analysis tools or uh, tools that do dynamic analysis with OSR, package scanning, of course, SNP. But this is also a place where things can get uh, really complex because it's not enough to have tools. You need someone to integrate them into the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So we need somehow make the devs and product understand that, uh, for example, now it's they should, when they create a new project, they should spend some time on adding SNCC to the project and look on SNCC finding and fix them if they need because it's requires some time and they need to want to do it. Otherwise, they will just ignore it and the tool will not be helpful. So it's a, it's not a simple task. Indeed. So I guess actually like digging into that, and I think you've already veered a little bit. You've actually written a good post about this, you know, that just summarizes a bunch of these tools. So maybe maybe let's get detailed a bit, you know, and just say, hey, you know, across these tools. You know, for the different categories, you know, what's your view of the tools one should consider, the ones you use, and like the elements of them that, uh, you know, that help or, or hurt, you know, embedding them into that type of development process? Yeah. So first, I think that when talking about tools in general, the most important thing is that the tool must break the build. I mean, if you have a tool that just generates a report, you cannot assume that, you know, a developer will come in the morning and say, hey, I have a report here. It might be interesting to open it and see it. No one will do it. I can say about myself, we have a static analysis tool that just created a report in the build, and <laughs> I was like, okay, there is a report there. I have no idea what's there, but I have other things. So this is the most important thing, break the build or it doesn't happen. <laughs> and this is why I'm so invested in Glue. A lot of time you can find great security tools, but when you try to integrate them into the pipeline, things get messy because the tools don't support the CI tool you're using. For example, they don't know how to output in, in a format that TeamCity know and love. Or they don't have a good way to ignore false positive, which is also very important. Like you can break the build, but you need somehow to, for the developer to say, this is false positive, I want to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And Glue can help with that. And this is why I so much invested in this tool. For me, it's like, it's the basic requirement from any security tool. If you don't do that, there is no meaning to adding the tool at all. And besides, you know, having like a checkbox saying I'm running static analysis, which is also important. I guess it's a it's a tricky action. Like, you know, on one hand, I'm entirely with you, right? Which is you, you have to be realistic with your expectations. The fact that you've provided information off off band, you know, just like you know, in some some other repository, would just not, you know, nobody's going to notice uh, that you run it. 
So you have to you have to kind of get real and break the build or like get in line, you know, with uh, with the developers' actions. Not expect them to kind of go off and read and work off a list that is stored somewhere else. On the flip side, you know, breaking the build is like a pretty aggressive action. You know, it's a sledgehammer. So I guess what you're saying in that context is the security person should feel empowered, you know, to break the build. But to achieve that, you need to ensure that the developer has concrete actions they can take without waiting on that security person move forward. Yeah, that, this is what I said about engagement. For example, as a lot of how we work, developers have full control and they can decide that a specific finding is a false positive. It's not something that they need to come and talk with me and I like, get an improvement. So you need to understand that the pipeline is there. It's not yours. And if you add a tool to their pipeline, you should respect that it's not your pipelines and they should have the full ownership of the tool. They should have mm -hmm. the full power of disabling it, marking something as false positive or do whatever they want if the tool is not behaving. So it's a good point and this is something you should take into consideration. Yeah. And again, this is why you must make sure that you talk with the devs and they want to edit and they know what the tool is doing and the value it gives, which is not a simple, not simple to do. So I guess like an interim solution between like, you know, it's in the builds textual output or whatever it is, uh, or even in like some, some other third-party tools portfolio and breaking the build, oftentimes what's being discussed is like log a Jira issue, right? Or like get it into my issue management. Do you find that effective? Do you do any of that? I think it's even uh, more violent because as I said, it's the team responsible to decide if they want to log in to find an issue. And it's their decision if they want to open an issue on GitHub put something on Trello or whatever they want to do. It's the totally team decision. Mm -hmm. All I want to do is break the build and then let them, and Glue, Glue let you do that. Glue basically let you just say, I want to ignore it. I want to postpone it because I want to handle it like in two months and then you can file an issue and take care of it later. And it's all coming from the same place that let the developers all the information and then let them choose what action to take, uh, but give them the power. Yeah, it just has to be empowered. And, and you know, it's legitimate that on one hand, breaking the build is hard, uh, hard action. On the other hand, it's a transient action. So like the build broke, you've done something, you went away. Like if this was a false positive, there's never any like false record of it being an issue that you have to now acknowledge. You know, it's like you broke the build. Yeah. You said it was a false positive. You ignored it, you know, accordingly and you continue. While if it was logged as an issue, then suddenly it gets into like your metrics and those elements, and that might actually be more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, depending on uh, on how the team operates. Yeah, and you take a decision for them that it's an issue they should uh, look at. Right. And of course, you can also put it as a GitHub check on a PR. It's for me, it's the same. Like, if it's a check on PR or breaking the bid, same thing. It's about the same because it's in the pipeline. So yeah, I'm, I'm you know like you know at, at Snake and in general like myself, I feel like the commit status tests on pull requests are are a pretty happy medium between them because on one hand they are very visible you know on a, as an as an individual test, and on the other hand you can choose whether they're breaking or informational. Like you can kind of make them uh, so they're a little bit more flexible around allowing a team to decide whether this breaks or not, which you can do in the build as well. It's just the build is a little bit of this like one big unit. The other aspect of it is that pull requests test a, a delta, right? They test a change between yeah. this change as well. Builds test a state. So especially in the context where suddenly some new vulnerability can come from the outside, pull requests have some advantages there. But I agree, like conceptually, it's the same as what you're describing. It's it's just about putting in the pipeline. I love that in the blog you actually talk, you know, just to get practical, because I, you know, I, I believe kind of the, the listeners would like that. Just sort of go through the specific classes of tools that you have, and maybe say a few words about how you treat them, 
Yeah, what I try to do on the blog is going over about a different security test that uh, you can use, different kind of test that you can use to test the quality of your code. And uh, this is why I called it want to write a good code, start using security tests. <laughs> and I try to uh, mention a few open source uh, free security tools that you can start using today. So for example, I started with static analysis and there are a lot of uh, tools with a uh, variant quality out of there, especially the commercial one, not all of them are good enough. And there is a nice tool by Microsoft called DevScheme. It's a really nice tool. And what I really like about it is the ID integration. There is an example on the blog post where you can see that by using DevScheme with Visual Studio Code, you can just, with a few clicks, fix the issue. Like DevScheme can fix it for you. You don't need to think. You just need to click twice into places and issue is fixed. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really powerful evaluation of static analysis. Like it's feeding you with a spoon. And you don't need to think, oh, I had here insecure URL, what I need to do? You can just click, or uh, I have a MD5, which is insecure, which hash algorithm I need to choose. It does the decision for you, and it's really, really nice. It makes it a lot more easier. Very cool. Dev scheme, right? That's the, yeah. Dev scheme, yeah. By Microsoft, it has support for a lot of uh, languages and some ideas. And another tool to notice is that it's really easy to write rules for Dev scheme, which is not always the, sit the situation with all the static analysis. In their scheme, it's really uh, simple, and you can even write tests to it, which is amazing because if you cannot customize the static analysis tool, uh, you miss a lot of the power. And here you can do it, and it's simple. Mm -hmm. So this is their scheme. Okay, very cool. Uh, the second thing is dynamic analysis, which is if static analysis look on code, dynamic analysis try to look on live application, uh, request and response, and see what's going there. And here I mentioned OWASP Zap, which is a security tool by OWASP. And uh, you can use it to proxy your application and it can like point various uh, security issues in the app. Uh, very nice, very powerful. And you can check out to see how you can do it. It's actually relatively simple to take existing uh, black box or end-to-end -end tests and proxy them to that. So you can get dynamic security tests for free. And how do you how do you set up? So like static analysis, you look at the code, there's a question about scan times. Uh, and the likes, although it sounds like dev scheme is more about the IDE, so it's more like just inline. You don't put it in the build, but you it has support for both CLI and IDE. Yeah. Okay. But for Zap, you know, one of the one of the objections oftentimes to put black box testing or dynamic, you know, dust uh, testing is that you also need to set up an environment, like you need to set up some some system to run and sort of the length of it. Like what have you seen with Zap? You know, how do you what do you recommend doing there around it? So what we are doing here at Soloto, we have a lot of, we call it black box test, but some other places call it end-to-end -end test, which is a test where you put, you run your API with Docker Compose, and then you send like HTTP request to it and see how it, how it reacts. So once you have such tests, you can just proxy the request and response from the black box through Zap, and then you get a full dynamic test without the need to have another environment and start mocking requests and responses. And it is uh, the entire solution. And of course, if you have good coverage of the black box or end-to-end -end test, you will also have good coverage of the dynamic analysis. So it's really nice. So it leverages, it builds on the invocations of inputs and things like that that your natural unit tests would invoke and just extends them to introduce security tests like yeah. manipulate, basically. Yeah, leveraging the, the fact that we're already using something uh, to send requests and response to the application, yes. Yeah, to an extent, it sounds like the, the unit tests are the crawling phase, you know, because a lot of these black box testing tools start by crawling the application to discover inputs and then continue to manipulate them in attack. 
and to an extent like what zap does is uses the these existing tests as the crawling bit uh, and then just goes on to the attack. yeah and then you don't need to guess uh, what your rest exists in the application and again you have good coverage because dynamic end-to-end -end tests usually try to cover as much as possible from the application got it and how much uh, like what's your experience been around the duration over the time like how much would that add to my build time if i introduce this type not a lot the effect on the build time is relatively uh, small it's a bit of a challenge to add zap to existing tests it's acquired not a lot of work uh, i try to make it as simple as possible and there is a full guide uh, linked on the blog but it does require some effort and some changes to how you run your test because you need uh, to interfere with the request and response from the test to there. Got it. Yeah. So there's yeah there's some natural like you're going to send some requests. You need to proxy some components. So yeah, exactly. Cool. So we've got SAST and DAS, kind of the static and dynamic yes. application security testing. What else do you do? So to complete that, uh, if we talk about our code, the next part is talking about the packages we are using. Like everyone likes to use packages and. Packages is great, but also can come with known security vulnerabilities. After all, it's a code that someone else likes. And you want to make sure you scan your packages to make sure it doesn't contain vulnerabilities that everyone knows about. For example, Equifax, which we all, I think... Yeah, the infamous struts vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to mention them, like to make sure you all... Uh, it's now even part of the OS Top 10. Uh, A9 is about using components with known vulnerabilities. So there are a lot of tools out there that can be used. The most, I think the most mature one, which is also open source, is a other tool by OS, OS Dependency Track and Check. It has a really nice UI and it has support for some languages. But here the tricky part is how do you know which packages contain vulnerabilities? And I think this is something you can talk a bit about more than me. <laughs> but uh, this is part of the reason that uh, if you can pay for a tool, uh, Sneak might be a better option because and again, this is something you can share more than anything. But uh, they usually have uh, can detect issues that other packages didn't uh, due to some reasons. So this is uh, about packages. And here the hard part is like how you need to upgrade. And this is another place where Snick do a bit better job than other tools. It really help you to fix the issue, uh, upgrade to the right uh, package. Uh, so this is about packages. Uh, do you want to add something? <laughs> no, I appreciate the yeah, I know so it's great, and and it's probably worth for the listeners to know that you know Omar has been a, a super uh, helpful user as well in the world of Snake, kind of giving us a uh, great insights and inputs around kind of making the tooling better and helping indeed like you know whether it's commenting and helping kind of build up, have a better vulnerability database, have sort of this better automated remediation uh, and those elements you know helping kind of build up the uh, container scanning capability that we launched earlier this year. And those capabilities. We're gonna put this aside a little bit because I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with sort of the <laughs> not to make this podcast yeah, be a be a sneak plug, but you know, package scanning should absolutely be a part of that stack uh, that you put together. And I hope sneak ends up serving your needs, but you definitely should consider if you want OS dependency checker as a free open source tool. There again, just evaluate your uh, your sort of database and usability there as compared to what what yeah commercial offerings like sneak can do. Uh, and both OS Dependency Track and Sneak uh, supporting notifications. So if you're using a, a package which is not vulnerable now, but I don't know, in a month, someone will report a vulnerability, uh, both of the tools can uh, send a notification to you. And we integrated uh, Sneak with Isinga. Isinga is a monitoring tool. If you're not familiar with Isinga, it's a fault of Nagios. So uh, basically what we are going to do is once someone adds a Sneak, it, she can also add an alert. So if in the future, a new vulnerability will be reported. 
the team will get an alert like any other alert, like any other production alert. Hey, you have a new vulnerability, please fix it. It's very nice. It's all using the existing flow of how we monitor our production. So it's something the developer are familiar with. And it's really important to use this notification. Otherwise, if you don't publish something, I don't know, for a month or, or so, you might miss new vulnerabilities. Indeed. Yeah. I think the next part is talking about Docker. Like you need to put your code in something. And usually we're using a Docker. And Docker images has pretty much the same images as packages. Like there are a lot of packages installed there. Uh, here you have both issues. Uh, first is how you find all the packages. For example, there are some feature image, which I will not mention, who use curl to install uh, things and not via normal package management. Mm -hmm. And you have this, the same problem as before of to know which packages are vulnerable. There are good free open source tool here, like Anchor Engine and Clear, which you can uh, give a certain Docker image and it's scanning it and return a report. And the report is where things can get messy because it's not very actionable. I give you one example of a vulnerability in LiveIDN 11. And this is something that you can't give to a developer. Like I myself have no idea what is LiveIDN 11, if I should fix it. And I will feel a bit scared to fix it. And this is go back to what we talk about, that we need to engage developer and we need to help them fix the issue. We can't just throw about them like, hey, your bridge is broken, you have all these issues, please fix them. You need No, it mm -hmm. will not work. They will just say, okay, I don't understand what's going on here. You, we need to help them fix it. Mm -hmm. And here it's another case where uh, Sneak doing a really good job, but <laughs> I think we can keep talking about Sneak all the time. So uh, I think it's the last time I mentioned Sneak. But this is another thing that you should consider when you choose a security tool. Yeah. See if the tool can help you understand what to do and not only what the issue is, because it's very important. Yeah, and I think that's consistent kind of throughout kind of this conversation. We've been talking about how the actionability, you know, if you put it in the in the developer team, like in the dev team's pipeline, it's their pipeline. You know, they need to have that actionability and understand it. You know, if it's not realistic for them to have the time or the expertise, or if you do not empower them to do so you know, that tool is not going to stay in the pipeline, you know, long, yep. right? Like the, the best case scenario in those cases is that they will move it out, you know, the worst case scenario is that they will just, you know, like agility would grind to a halt. Yeah, exactly. And you also need to think about the amount of issues. For example, if you start reporting like hundreds of issues, no one will take a look. Indeed. No one can go on a list of, I don't know, more than 50 issues or so. It's like impossible task and something that it's not reasonable, so reasonable. Indeed. So we need to make sure that your expectation is reasonable and not just say, okay, I'm going to break the bed and just throw about them every issue I can find. And this is a serious issue with Docker Scanner, where the open source tools does not give good solutions. And I hope it will improve in the future. Yes. And the last thing is uh, Kubernetes file scan. You know, uh, if you're familiar with Kubernetes, Kubernetes is a way to run Docker containers in production. And you have files that control how your uh, Docker is running in production. Now, you can think about it. And again, please, dear Kubernetes user, don't uh, need picking me. But <laughs> you can think about it like how you define your VM. And you can understand from this description that you can do severe security issues. For example, you can mount all the root file system. And then if the container is compromised, the attack surface is a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. There is actually only one tool that I was able to find out here, which is called CubeSec. The only problem is that it's an online service. You need to send all your files to an online service that's owned by a third party. And this is something I think most of enterprise will not feel comfortable to do. Yeah. Something to know, there are not a lot of good solutions here. And I hope 
you know, we'll see more tools or at least things that run only internally. Yeah, absolutely. I guess to an extent, I guess I like to think about this aspect as, you know, if you have infrastructure as code, that code could have security flaws in it as well. Like yeah. basically, it's almost like the static analysis to your infrastructure as code, yeah. you know, to say which, which bad security decisions have been made there. Or even decisions that, you know, were not a problem at the time, but new knowledge coming to fore. Uh, implies now that you know there's a better op- yeah. option. And uh, this is a, it's the same is true for Terraform or for uh, ARM template or whatever you're using. It's again going back to the developers and let them know, like say to them, hey, you open SSH port to the internet, maybe it's not a good idea. Indeed. So they now have an informed decision to make and they don't just, you know, copy paste from somewhere and don't even know that there is might be an issue here. This is awesome, Omar, like a lot of info. I think this is like very practical. Here's how we use and, and we'll put the link to the blog post in the uh, in the podcast uh, notes for people to use. How did you find when you when you kind of rolled out? This is it's the other way around, right? Like this is your learnings uh, and understanding and uh, and working with OWASP Glue. I guess maybe two questions for you. One is maybe just sort of give us a quick rundown on like what OWASP Glue is and how it helps there. And second, just like, what was your experience of doing this inside Soluto? Like how, uh, if, if I wanted to sort of start with one of these, for instance, you know, where yeah. would you start? So I start with the Glue one because it's a lot uh, easier. I already said before, uh, Glue come to fill the gap of a lot of security tools are not just good enough to run in the CI. For example, again, they don't know to output in the format that your CI understand. For example, they don't support GitHub check API. So Glue is like the bridge. It's like helping you glue your security yeah. tool into the CI CD. It has a few nice features which allow you to say, this is a false positive. I want to postpone it. Uh, it has a lot of uh, format output. So you can output to file CSV, Jira, or uh, even TeamCity. Recently, we added a way to like dynamically add security tools. So if your security tool can output JSON, uh, you can provide a file to Glue that say, map this thing to this thing, and then you don't need even to add code to Glue if you want to add new security tool. So this was a uh, Glue. Uh, the second question is a bit more tricky. We did a few iterations, and this is actually something I think to talk about somewhere in the future in a conference. I just need you know, to build a full talk. But we did a few iterations when we tried to embed security tools into the pipeline from like starting with a static analysis tool and just edit manually with like a script to all the builds all over Soluto. And this gave us the benefit of, you know, static analysis is now running on all over the code, but it has a few downsides. First, people just have a new thing in their pipeline, which they don't always know what it's doing or why it's broken. And it's make them sometimes to just say, I don't know what it is and it's breaking my build, I'm ignoring it. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is one issue. The second issue was that when people creating new pipelines, they're not using the regular templates we provided, they don't always had added a, the static analysis tool because, again, they didn't know what it is, they didn't understand the value, and it was just there. So they don't, and it, mm-hmm. I was just needing to go over all the time and say, hey, you have a new pipeline, please edit. And it's not always happened. So this was the first iteration, which was not a great success. With that, we tried a bit combined way, like, it exists in some template, and if you create a project with this template, you will get Zap out of the box. But it's not exists in all templates, and the adoption is very low. And lastly is with Sneak, where we try like to just say to people, hey, edit, please. And again, the adoption is very slow, but the people who actually edit uh, understand what it does. So there is nothing I can say that 
work without issues and it's all going back and back to the same part of talking with developers, talking with products, try to understand, try to explain to the product, hey, you added a new feature. Mm-hmm. If you don't add this tool, here's what is happened. Products are, it's also important for them to understand. So far, it's working, but slowly. Yeah. And lastly, is uh, having champions or mavens. This is something we're trying to expand the mavens we have now in Ceruto. And hopefully, having more mavens will allow us to get to more teams in Ceruto and engage with them more. Got it. Yeah, just sort of, you know, spread the uh, the kind of the local champions indeed. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks a lot for all the info. Before I kind of uh, let you go here, I like to ask every guest, just if you had one bit of, you know, security advice or security pet peeve or some uh, piece of knowledge, you know, that you'd want to share with a team looking to level up their security or, you know, what to start doing, stop doing, what would that be? So I think I mentioned here uh, Avi, oh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Avi Dublin. I'm sure I mispronounced his name, <laughs> uh, Asa Sektega. Uh, he liked to say that if security is not usable, no one will use it, which is basically what we talk about all this session. Make sure that you build things that are usable, that uh, developers and users can use. For example, don't add login page that is breaking usability. Uh, and I think this is something that like you should, I try to think about it all the times on how to make security usability and not just security for security. It's hard, it's not simple, but this is where we should go. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. If it's not <laughs> easy, we don't do it. You know, we're all lazy at the end of the day and we all, yeah. not just about laziness, but like, you know, we all have a million things to do. Omar, this has been great. Thanks a lot for coming onto the show. Thank you very much for having me. It was a very nice talking with you. And thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies given by top experts in the field.